Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am him, and he is I. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, let's start the show. Raw is basically the Raw after Elimination Chamber, so what do we start off with first? We start off with Brock Lesnar, the new WWE Champion. He comes out, and he gets in the ring, and before he can say anything of relevance, Paul Heyman comes out and interrupts Brock Lesnar. Paul was about to do his whole, my name is Paul Heyman, and I am the advocate. Brock stops him. Paul mentions that he is the special counsel for the only real heavyweight champion in WWE. Paul lets Brock know that in two weeks, on March 5th, a Saturday, he has to defend the WWE Championship at Madison Square Garden. So, Brock might not make it to Mania as WWE Champion, and we might not get the whole title-for-title, champion-versus-champion matchup at all. Brock calls Paul a dick. Paul tells Brock that at Madison Square Garden, he has to face Bobby Lashley, but on the chance that Bobby doesn't pass the concussion test that wrestlers have to pass in WWE to uh, be an active participant in wrestling. Paul does let Brock know that someone will take Bobby Lashley's place at that event. Brock lets Paul know that he knew all of this and that he does let Paul know one thing also, that he knows that Paul is going to be at SmackDown with Roman Reigns and that he's going to be at SmackDown to formally introduce himself to Roman Reigns. So you know what this means, we're going to have some havoc and chaos more than likely on SmackDown. After this whole thing, we start off with our first match of the night, tag team matchup, Street Profits going against Alpha Academy. Alpha Academy wins the match by pinfall when Montez Ford tries to pick up Otis, which he does pick him up, but he holds him enough, holds him around enough, and he has him in a scoop slam position, but the weight of Otis is too much for Montez Ford, so Montez falls under the weight of Otis, and as the referee was pinning, well, making the count, Gable would hold down Montez uh, Ford's leg, so Montez couldn't kick out of the pin, so that's how the Alpha Academy won. After the match, we had another tag team matchup. Is This time it's Finn Balor and Tommaso Ciampa going against the Dirty Dogs. This is Finn's first match since, well, in a month or a month or and a half since Austin Theory kind of beat him up, and that's the last time that we saw Finn. Anyway, Tommaso and Finn will win the match by pinfall when Tommaso will hit Rude with a jumping knee to the face, then, as he was looking to hit Rude with the fairy tale ending, Rude would flip over Tommaso, but Tommaso was able to pull Rude down and basically hit a sunset flip to win the match. Great match between these two. Uh, you had the Dirty Dogs basically working together more as a team than Finn and Tommaso because the Dirty Dogs have been working together for about a good solid two years now. But again, solid match. After this, it was time for Miz TV. Let me just break down this whole segment for you. The statement was basically to announce that at WrestleMania, it will be the Mysterios going against The Miz and a partner of his choice, and the partner turns out to be Logan Paul. Logan Paul will come out, uh, The Mysterios will be out there as well, you had The Miz and Logan Paul jump The Mysterios, beat him up, you had The Miz hit for a Skull Crusher finale on Rey Mysterio, and Logan Paul hit uh, the Skull Crusher finale on Dominic Mysterio. Let me say this right now. This is The Miz's second year back-to-back, because now this will be literally back-to-back, of him going against another person with a celebrity in the matchup. 
Last year, it was Damian Priest and Bad Bunny going against The Miz and John Morrison. This year is the flip side. The Mysterios going against The Miz and Logan Paul. This time, The Miz has a celebrity on his side. I see The Mysterios winning and basically The Miz eating the pinfall for this because I don't want to see Logan Paul uh, take the win at WrestleMania. It shouldn't happen. I don't deem it to happen. Do I think Logan Paul is going to wrestle a good match at Mania? Yes. I'm not, I'm, let me give Logan Paul some credit. Even though I don't like him, I got to give him credit because he is an amateur wrestler, so he knows how to get himself together inside a amateur ring. And a whole lot of amateur wrestlers come over to WWE or do professional wrestling, and they're actually able to adapt to the waters of professional wrestling. So I think Logan Paul is going to be able to adapt in it. Do I think he's going to do better than what Bad Bunny did last year? I don't think so, but the jury will be out at WrestleMania. I could be completely wrong, and he might blow Bad Bunny's thing out of the water, but we will have to see. After this, it's time for Rhea Ripley going against Nikki A.S.H. Rhea will win the match by pinfall, and Rhea will hit the Riptide on Nikki for the win. This match was basically a get-up-and-go match, basically meaning go and do something else, because the majority of this time it was Rhea shoving Nikki and showing her dominance and strength, while Nikki will be outside complaining and... It was basically cat and mouse type deal until the cat grabbed the mouse and destroyed the mouse. That's all this was. After this, we had Damian Priest going against Shelton Benjamin, who had Cedric Alexander in his corner. Damian will win the match by pitfall when you hit the reckoning on Shelton Benjamin. After the match, Damian gets on the mic and announces that next week he's putting up his United States title, but wants an opponent that is a world championship contender. Finn Balor comes out and accepts the invitation. So next week on Raw, it will be Damian Priest putting up the United States title against Finn Balor. After this, we had a, another in-ring promo, but this time it's from the new 24-7 champion, Reggie. How is he the new 24-7 champion? Because last week, I did not mention this, last week Reggie and Dana were on a date because it was last week was Valentine's Day. And Reggie basically tried to ask Dana to make their relationship more personal than friendly. Dana rejected him, told him that he's basically just a friend to her. Reggie said, okay, he hugged her, but then he uh, hit a small package on her, pinned her in the restaurant to win the 24-7 championship. Reggie comes out here, he tells, uh, calls Dana out to explain why he pinned her last week for the 24-7 championship. Dana comes out, Reggie tells her that once she rejected him, and he kind of lost his way, so... That made him want to pin her for the 24-7 championship. Reggie mentions that ever since then, he's hasn't felt right. He's had a hole in his heart, and he wants to make it right. So Reggie decides to lay down for, well, before he does lay down, he calls for a referee to come out. A ref comes out. He lays down. He has Dana pin him. But as Dana pins him, he kicks out. Okay, he has jokes with her, but then he lays down again. He tells Dana, all right, I was just joking. Dana pins him again. He kicks out again this time. Now, it looks like Reggie's becoming a dick on this point. But he says, all right, all right, I'm, I've had my fun. Let me lay down for you, all right? I'm going to lay down for you. Reggie lays down. Dana has, well, she takes her arms and has her arms on top of Reggie's arms, but then she lays a kiss onto Reggie. So that may basically has Reggie lay down and basically takes his focus off the 24-7 championship, so he can't kick out at this point, and the referee counts the pinfall and Dana is now your new 24-7 championship and then we get back to the whole people trying to run down to the ring and try to chase after the 24-7 championship R-Truth, Akira Zawa, and Tamina after this now it's time for another in-ring promo, Bianca Belair 
Bianca Belair comes out. She gives praise to the women that she was in the elimination chamber with. But then Bianca gets down to business, and Bianca mentions that last year she was in the main event of Mania for the SmackDown Women's Championship and won it. She says that she's going to run it back this year, but this time it's for the Raw Women's Championship. Becky decides to come out and tell Bianca that it isn't going to happen. Becky mentions the moment that at SummerSlam when she took the SmackDown title off of Bianca, and Becky mentions that Bianca is the reason why the people turned on her. Which, Becky isn't kind of wrong, because Becky lays it out like this. Becky mentions that when she came back at SummerSlam, the people loved her. But once they found out that she was facing Bianca and that she beat Bianca that quick, the fans quickly turned on her. So Becky tells Bianca that since she made the people hate her, she's going to destroy Bianca's dreams at Mania. Bianca starts taking off her earrings and tells her that we don't have to wait until Mania and we can do this right now. But before any of that could happen, Dewdrop comes out and we get our match, Bianca versus Dewdrop. So, Becky is right. People were happy to see Becky. If you go back to watch that run, SummerSlam 2021, you see everybody was happy to see Becky. People were actually excited. And I was excited too because we thought, okay, we're going to get a nice good matchup between uh, Becky and Bianca Belair. But once we saw that Becky beat Bianca that quick, you start hearing the people not happy about it. People online weren't happy about it. So, Becky isn't wrong in this point of why the fans hate, hate her. If she would have did this to the Raw champion, I believe the Raw champion at the time was, uh, was it Nikki? Or was it Charlotte? I believe it was, ooh, this is a hard one. I believe it was Nikki at the time. If she would have came back and did that to Nikki ASH, I don't think she would have got hate for it. I think people would have still loved her. She would be a beloved character right now. But since it was Bianca Belair, the favorite and still the favorite in everybody's eyes in WWE, including mine, she does have a point. So I'm not, I can't get mad at Becky technically for this. Anyway, getting back to the night. Uh, Bianca Belair would beat Dewdrop when Bianca would lift Dewdrop onto her shoulders and hit the KOD for the win. You had a nice competitive matchup between Dewdrop and Bianca Belair, but Bianca beats Dewdrop to gain more momentum going into WrestleMania. Now it's time for Edge's in-ring promo, and this is the first time that we've seen Edge since he's uh, mixed tag team matchup at uh, Royal Rumble. Edge comes out here, and he mentions that it's WrestleMania season, and he starts remembering being in his uncle's truck as a small boy and listening to the results of WrestleMania 3. Edge then goes to mention that his first Mania worker for the WWE was at WrestleMania 14, and that it took him two years to get on the card, which was WrestleMania 16. Edge stops, and he looks into the camera, and he wishes well to Devon because Devon just had uh, spine surgery, I believe, this past week, and Devon tweeted out that the Dodgers told him that he could no longer wrestle, so that puts an end to Devon's 25 years as in-ring competition. But he hasn't wrestled in a long time. But I do know that he agents some of the tag team matches. And I don't know as an agent do you like try to perform bumps or anything. I don't know the backstage working. But it was announced that Devon, if you go to social media, Devon tweeted out that he can no longer wrestle. So Edge just wished Devon uh, well. Then Edge goes back to his whole thing. Edge mentions that at WrestleMania 21, he won the first ever Money in the Bank match. Then the next year, WrestleMania 22, he speared Mick Foley through a flaming table and stole the show. He talks about almost beating The Undertaker at WrestleMania 24 and then wishes The Undertaker, uh, he congratulates The Undertaker for being 
inducted into the Hall of Fame. And then he talks about retiring after defending the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania 27, then coming back years later and main eventing WrestleMania last year. Edge then looks into the camera and then goes on to say that WrestleMania needs him and he needs WrestleMania. So Edge makes an open challenge to anybody in the locker room to step up because Edge is waiting. So more or less, we're probably going to get AJ Styles going against Edge. This has been the thing that everybody's been clamoring for. And I've, I'm cool with the match. I'm not hating on it. I'm not going to lie and say like, oh, that's one of the matches. Like, nah, I wanted to see AJ go for the WWE Championship. I'm not going to try to front on nobody. But this is a nice secondary match that he can get. And hopefully we get AJ's first WrestleMania moment. Because again, as I stated weeks ago, AJ hasn't had a WrestleMania moment yet. Edge has had lots of WrestleMania moments. AJ hasn't had one technically. If we're going to say a WrestleMania moment, I would say him going against Shane McMahon at WrestleMania 33. But other than that, no, nah, he hasn't had a WrestleMania moment. So if they do do this, I know AJ's at least going to have a good match with Edge and hopefully they create a spot that, Ed, that AJ will get his Mania moment. Anyway, after this, now it's time for main event. Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins going against RK-Bro and the stipulation of this match is if Kevin Owens and Seth wins, they get added to the Raw Tag Team title matchup that's supposed to happen in two weeks on Monday Night Raw. That happens. KO and Seth Rollins win the match by pitfall. When Seth Rollins curb stomps Randy Orton on the outside of the ring, now with Orton taken out, and this is towards the end of the match, this allows Rollins and Kevin Owens to start hitting a combo of moves. Seth hits a buckle bomb on Riddle, then Kevin Owens hits a stunner on Riddle, and then finally, Rollins hits the curb stomp on Riddle, covers him to win the match. So in two weeks, on Monday Night Raw, it'll be a triple threat tag team matchup for the Raw Tag Team Championships, RK-Bro going against Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens going against the champions, Alpha Academy. And that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, for NXT. NXT starts off with a Braun Breaker entering promo. He lets it be known that NXT will be at Dallas, Texas for WrestleMania weekend for Stand and Deliver. This is NXT's first time leaving Florida since 2020 when COVID kind of happened. So this is going to be a nice refresher course and a palate cleanser for a lot of those new upcoming NXT guys. Basically, everybody on the NXT roster except for Tommaso Ciampa hasn't left uh, NXT to go anywhere. Tommaso has been with the company, and he's been whenever they left Orlando, Florida, to go to other places. So this will be a nice refresher and a nice little uh, field trip, if you will, for the rest of the NXT roster. He mentions that he's going into uh, Dallas as champion and walking out as champion. Dolph did interrupt Braun Breaker. Dolph tells Braun that he's going to give him some advice, and then the advice is, don't make promises you can't keep. He tells him that stand and deliver is a long time from now, and you might not make it as champion. Yes, you going to stand and deliver, that's that's a definite. But you as champion, I don't see it. Dolph mentions that he's going to beat Champa tonight, and when he does, he's going to beat Braun Breaker and might even carry Braun on his shoulders to stand and deliver, where he might beat him at the NXT for the NXT Championship. Braun mentions that he owes Dolph a receipt for last week's uh, super kick. However, Dolph does let Braun know that Braun has the night off and that he is barred from Dolph's match with Tommaso Ciampa later in the night, so there will be no receipts. After this promo is done, we get our first match of the night. 
Grayson Waller with Sangha in his corner going against LA Knight. Waller will win the match by pinfall thanks to Sangha. When Knight was going for the BFT on Waller when Waller was next to the ropes, Sangha hold on to Waller's arm. So when Knight grabbed him by the neck and tried to pull him down to the mat, Knight was the only one that hit the mat. And Waller was able to scoop pin Knight for the win. That was a crappy finish. I'm not even going to hold you on that. That was a big crappy finish. So don't... Uh. After the match, however, Knight would attack Waller. Sangha tried to attack Knight from behind, but Knight moved out of the way. Sangha hits the corner turnbuckle. This allows Knight to hit the BFT on both Sangha and Waller. And this makes Knight leave out of the ring. So Knight at least got his measure of revenge, but he did not win the matchup. After this, we have our first quarterfinal matchup for the Women's Dusty Tag Team Classic. And the teams are Kaylee Ray going against, well, Kaylee Ray and Io Shirai going against Amari Miller and Last Legend. As you know, with the star power, Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray will win the match by pinfall when Kaylee Ray hits Lash with the KLR bomb and then tags in Io Shirai. But before Io can do anything, Kay- Kaylee Ray hits a moonsault. Then Io Shirai hits her moonsault on Lash to win the match. Standard matchup. I mean, you gave uh, Lash Legend enough to do some damage there, but with the star power of Kaylee Ray and Io Shirai going against Amari Miller Last Legend, it was already predetermined who was going to win just when you saw the match itself. After this, we had another matchup of Dante Chin going against Duke Hudson. Dante's trying to look for some revenge because Duke Hudson attacked him a month ago, so this is where this match comes in from. Duke, however, would win the match by pinfall when Duke hits Chin with a big boot, then a razor's edge for the win. I don't see this rivalry going anywhere. They need to cut it right now. After this, we have a Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes in-ring promo. They are out here for Carmelo Hayes to celebrate him retaining his North American Championship over Cameron Grimes last week. He brags about beating Cameron last week and stealing the show. Carmelo mentions that anybody can get it, whether it be in the ring, on the mic, or on the Bird app. And what she was referring to is Max Caster basically tweeting out to Carmelo Hayes about Carmelo doing the whole aid down, and that's whole that's the whole acclaim thing. Melo told uh, Max Caster, oh, I didn't know you guys did that. I don't watch your uh, YouTube show. He's throwing shots because the acclaimed are on AEW, but you will see them a lot more on like their YouTube shows, like the YouTube uh, Dark and Dark Releva- uh, Elevation. So, again... That's what Carmelo was basically uh, referring to. Pete Dunne will come out, and he will challenge Carmelo to a match for the North American Championship next week. Trick told Pete that Melo isn't going to do the match, but Melo stops Trick and says, Pete's on. He never backed down from a challenge, and he's not going to start now. Trick gets on the mic and tells Pete that he's in trouble, and once he beats him next week, like he did Cameron Grimes last week, he could take his tail to the back of the line. Cameron Grimes comes out of nowhere and attacks both Trick Williams and Carmelo, which sets up for our next matchup, which is Cameron Grimes going against Trick Williams with Carmelo Hayes in Trick's corner. Cameron Grimes will win the match by pinfall when Grimes hits the cave-in on Trick, and when Cameron pins Trick, he stares Melo in the eyes. So I'll just let you know that Cameron Grimes and Carmelo Hayes' whole little feud there starting up hasn't ended yet. After this, we have the in-ring debut of Nikita Lyons going against 
Kayla Inlay. Nikita Lyons would win the match by pinfall when Nikita hits a spinning roundhouse kick to the head of Kayla. And then as Kayla is down, you'll see Nikita jump up and hit a jumping split on Kayla for the win. Let me say this about Nikita Lyons. I feel that she needs to exorbit more power strikes and more power moves to her arsenal. I understand you want to try to do something different with her, but here's the thing. She's a thick girl, and I don't mean to say, like, fat or puffy. I mean, like, she's thick around, like, the waist and thighs area. So she has some, like, she has a butt on her, and she carries she carries herself fine. Let me just make that perfectly clear. I'm not trying to say anything wrong about her physique or her figure. Nothing's wrong with it. Believe me, when you Google her and you'll see her on NXT, trust me, she nothing's wrong with her. I'm just saying, when you look at her, you don't... You wouldn't expect speed or anything like that. I expect power and some type of power strikes with her presentation. That's all I'm saying. You don't have her prance around and move around as she has the advantage on somebody, as she did in this matchup. I would like to see her try to finish the matchup quickly and effectively. That's where I would picture the whole Nikita Lyons uh, character for her. Yes, she's been able to... Her whole backstory is that... Her, she was a road child. She was with her father, who was a musician on the road, so she had to take care of herself and all these type of things. And if you had to take care of yourself, I mean, you know how to take care of a fight, and guess what? You know how to take care of somebody easily, fastly. You're not trying to fight all day. So that's what I picture for Nikita Lyons. A.K. she gets in there, she throws a couple strikes, heavy strikes, heavy slams, get the job done, in and out. That's what I expect for Nikita Lyons, but hey, I'm not crapping on her. This is her first time on NXT television. And let's see where they take this uh, lady in the future. After this, we had the Creed Brothers and Malcolm Bivens coming out for an in-ring promo. They are presented with the Men's Dusty Tag Team Classic uh, trophy. Malcolm then talks about how Imperium are trying to make it seem that the Creed Brothers don't deserve the accolades that they have. Malcolm lets it be known that the Creed Brothers are NCAA wrestlers. They have competed in the Olympic trials. All They also won the Dusty Tag Team Classic. Things that Imperium haven't done. Malcolm then decides to mock Imperium before they decide to come out. Imperium comes out. They let it be known that the Creed Brothers might have won the tournament, but they won't win the NXT Tag Team Championships. The Creed Brothers attack Marcel and Fabian out of, of Imperium, which leaves Gunther with Malcolm Bivens in the ring. Gunther grabs up Bivens and puts him in the corner. As he's prepared to chop him, you see Solo Sokoa come out and he saves Bivens when he super kicks Gunther and drops him. It gets announced later in the night that next week it will be Gunther going against Solo Sokoa on NXT. Now, the next match of the night is the Women's Dusty Tag Team Classic quarterfinals. Ivy Nile and Tantrum Paxley with Roderick Strong in their corner. Going against Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro. Casey and Caden would win the match by pinfall when they hit their tag finisher, a neckbreaker 450 combo on Tatum for the win. After the match, Ivy puts Tatum in the Dragon Sleeper, and Roddy lets this happen until he taps the mat to tell Ivy to let go of the move, and you see Ivy and Roddy walk to the back. Now it's time for the main event. Tommaso Chapa going against Dolph Ziggler with heavy number one contender implications for the NXT Championship. Dolph will win the match by pinfall thanks to a cameraman. And I'll explain more on this in a minute. 
when Tommaso hits the white noise on the ring apron. So you have now both Tommaso and Dolph on the outside of the ring because this match was going 100 miles per hour because in the first beginning of the match, you had them going quickly. I mean, they were trying to throw their quick shots at each other. So that's the first half. And then the second half, they had to slow it down. But once Tommaso hits this move, you have both of these guys on the outside of the ring. They're tired. They are just trying to get back to their feet. Dolph was able to get back in the ring first. And as the referee's checking on him, you see Tommaso barely get himself in the ring. But once he does, you see a cameraman hits Tommaso with a camera. The referee doesn't see this. So once Tommaso stands up, Dolph Ziggler was able to stand up and hit a super kick on Tommaso, cover him to win the match. After the match, you see the cameraman start unmasking himself. And it turns out to be Dolph Ziggler's tag partner on Raw, Bobby Roode. Dolph and Roode will hug each other. And then they will start attacking Tommaso. Braun Breaker will come out and start attacking both men. Rude and Dolph walk up the ramp, and Braun challenged them to a tag team match next week, so we're going to get that. Then Braun says, if you guys have balls right now, we can fight you right now. Braun is now waiting for Dolph and Rude to do something. You see Dolph and Rude act like they're going to go to the back, but instead they run towards the ring. So it now is a brawl with all four men in the ring, and that's where NXT ends off with a big old four-man bra- four brawl to set up for next week's more or less main event of NXT, which will be the Dirty Dogs going against NXT champion Braun Breaker and Tommaso Ciampa. And that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite. Dynamite opens up with a 10-team tag team battle royale. The winning team will be one of the teams to face off against Jurassic Express, while the other team will have to be chosen next week on Dynamite. The winning team this week would be Red Dragon, when Matt Jackson and John Silver and Kyle O'Reilly were the last three men standing in the Battle Royal. Matt Jackson was tossing John Silver out of the ring. You see Kyle O'Reilly run up behind Matt and ending up flinging Matt Jackson over as him and John Silver both hit the mat on the outside of the ring, well, hit the floor. After the match, you see Bobby Fish run back in the ring, and he celebrated with Kyle O'Reilly as you see both Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson get in the face of Kyle O'Reilly. You see uh, Bobby Fish trying to separate the Bucks from O'Reilly, and this continued to happen until Hangman Page comes out, and he starts attacking Red Dragon. He beats up both of them, and then he looks at the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks look at Hangman, and they just throw their hands up like, hey, you can go ahead and do this. The uh, Young Bucks leave out of the ring. You see Hangman beating up on one of the members of Red Dragon, and you see Adam Cole run into the ring. Adam Cole thought he was going to get a sneak shot, super kick on Hangman Page, but Hangman was able to catch the super kick, and then he starts beating up on Adam Cole. He gets to the point that he beats up on Adam Cole so bad that he ends up setting him up for the butt shot lariat, but Kyle O'Reilly pulls Adam Cole out of the ring. Then you see John Silver get on the ring apron, and he hits a cannonball onto Red Dragon. He picks up Kyle O'Reilly, throws him in the ring. He allows Hangman Page to hit Kyle O'Reilly with a buckshot lariat. Hangman gets a mic and a chair. Hangman sits in the chair, and he tells a story about how Adam Cole is coming too close to the AEW championship, but what he doesn't realize is that he's stepping closer to a six-foot grave, and basically at Revolution, the best Adam will hit a buckshot to Adam Cole to retain and still be AEW world champion. After this, we had an in-ring promo from MGF. MGF comes down to the ring all depressed, and he looks like he had tears already rolling down his face. And the moral of the story is this. MGF tells a story about how um, 
Punk brought up the photo of him taking a photo with a young MGF back in the day, some years ago. MGF tells a story, the story about that day when he met his idol, CM Punk. MGF mentioned that he has severe uh, attention deficit disorder and I believe ADD or ADHD, one of the two. Um, MGF mentions that how he would get bullied in that one day he tried out for the football team. He made it, and now he thought that he was going to have friends. So he sees his football teammates walking across the hall. They have a uh, roll of quarters, and they just pelt it at MGF whenever he was a young kid as hard as they can. And they called him Jew Boy and told him to pick it up. MGF is telling this story, basically meaning about how CM Punk was his hero. Every time he would look at wrestling, Punk would be his hero. He would be his guy to make him continue to go about his day, to make him just constantly feel that strength within himself that every wrestling fan does whenever they watch wrestling. As a young child, they have their idol that they want to meet. And he talks about that day. He's saying that he came home crying after his football teammates threw the quarters at him, but he realized that it's the day that he's supposed to meet his idol, CM Punk. He goes to take that photo with Punk. He remembers that, and then he talks about in 2013, he's bulky up. He's still doing football. He has college scholarships, but the only thing he thought about was being a professional wrestler, just like his hero, CM Punk. That all changed in 2014 when Punk left the wrestling industry, and he left not just the fans, he left MJF. So MJF decided to go to college and do exactly what he was supposed to do. But that all changed until he saw a photo of Punk and Brian Danielson shaking hands on Twitter. And MGF said that's the day that when he saw that photo, he packed up all his things, left college to train to become a professional wrestler. And he wanted to be better than the best in the world, not because of CM Punk, but because in spite of CM Punk, he wanted to be the hero that Punk was and he wanted to be the hero that Punk should have been to him whenever he needed Punk back in 2013, 2014, all this time when Punk decided to leave the wrestling industry. So MGF said that he wanted to be that, so kids will be looking at MGF and look up to him and know that he would never leave them, unlike the way that Punk left MJF. So you see MGF put the mic down, you see Punk coming out of uh, through the entrance and he gets into the ring. He's just standing there on the ring apron. He's just looking at MGF, and he doesn't know what to think. He gets in the ring, and he just looks at uh, MGF, and he asks MGF simply, was all that what you said true? And he's just looking at MGF, and MGF still has the sad look on his face, and he looks at Punk and says, yeah, it's true. He gets out of the ring. He just walks up to the back, and you start seeing him start having more tears rolling down his face. People were saying that this is one of MGF's best uh, promos. I don't even think that we got to his best promo yet because you know what? It's going to come around that I believe that the first couple stories were true, like him getting bullied as being a Jewish kid back probably in New York City. I could believe that. But whenever it comes out to this being a ruse with some of the other stuff, people are basically going to be hating him. I mean, the fans are already booing him on this, but because MGF is a despisable person, and even he... At the beginning of the promo, MGF said, I know I could be despised. I know it's hard for people to like me because they already had these preconceived notions that I was raised up with a silver spoon brought in my mouth and all this type of stuff. So MGF knows that people hate him. He knows the dynamic of what he has. But 
I think whenever we find out it's the ruse and he has the pinnacle all beat up on Punk next week, bloody him up and put the dog collar around him and basically just beat the living crap out of Punk next week, we're going to see Punk get a measure of revenge on MGF at Revolution. I can say this is one of the best built matches that they got. And I wish they would have threw this wrinkle in like a couple weeks earlier. But hey, we got what we got now. We'll see what we end up with next week. Because next week's episode of Dynamite is supposed to be their last episode until the pay-per-view uh, revolution. Anyway, back to the show. The match that we had next was a tag team match. Kings of the Black Throne, Malachi Black, and Brody King going against Pac and Penta Oshiro. Oscaro. I don't know how to say my man's last name. I just know him as Penta Dark. Penta brought back, I'll say, a tamer version of his uh, Lucha Underground self. self, And Penta and Pac won the match by pinfall when Pac and Penta were looking to hit the Fear Factor and the Double Stomp combo. But Malachi Black came around Penta, turned him around. He was about to spray the mist in Penta's face as he's been doing to both Penta and Pac. But Penta put his hand over Malachi's mouth and basically made Malachi swallow it and choke on his own mist. So you saw Penta roll up Malachi for the win. And then after the match, you saw Brody King attack both Pac and Penta. As Brody King's beating up on Pac and Penta, Malachi is just coughing up. He's trying to get anything he can. He gets a bottle of water. He, like, swallows it, and he has to cough a little bit. He ends up grabbing the shovel that Penta brought out to the ring with him. He gets in the ring. He passes the shovel right on Penta's throat, and he lifts it up like he's about to spike it on Penta's throat, but then the lights go out. At this point, I thought, okay, Phoenix is back. Okay, we're going to see Phoenix in the ring. But nope, once the lights come back on, it is Buddy Matthews, the formerly known as Buddy Murphy in WWE. Buddy Matthews is there, and Malachi is all, like, worried out because we know, well, if you follow wrestling in WWE, Malachi and uh, Buddy will be having incredible matches back-to-back, whether it be on some um, WWE kickoff shows or even WWE, like, pay-per-views from time to time or even on just regular old Raw episodes. Those two will be killing it. So we think that Buddy is here to save, uh, not Malachi, but Pac and Penta from the Kings of the Black Thrones. That doesn't turn out to be at all. Buddy decides to knee Pac in the face and starts jumping on Penta and start beating up on Penta. Malachi sits in crisscross applesauce style because this was all part of his plan. Brody King brings in a chair. He has a chair laid out in front of uh, Pac and, no, not Pac, but Penta. And Malachi grabs Buddy by the face, starts slapping him in the face, telling him that he has to do it. And he tells Buddy to basically drag and stomp uh, Penta's face into the chair, which Buddy does. So Buddy is now part of the Kings of the Black Throne. So is now Malachi, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews. Not a bad uh, three-man team. I thought it was going to be Killer Cross at one point, but hey, we'll have to see whenever the time comes around for that. Anyway, after this segment, we had another segment. It was Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho in-ring confrontation. Eddie Kingston gets in the ring, and there's none but security guards in the ring. Eddie Kingston's having fun with this. He stands next to the security guards. He's waiting for Jericho to come, Jericho to come out. Jericho comes out. He gets in the ring. Eddie tells Jericho point blank, yo, I'm not with the sports entertainment stuff. Yo, you got to, yo, we're only a couple of minutes away from Stanford. Go over there and do sports entertainment. 
aka Stanford, is WWE. Jericho then decides, you know what, I'm going to do a little bit of sports entertainment stuff here. But the difference between that and this is that this is actually going to be entertaining. Another shot towards WWE. Jericho then decides to tell a story about how he found out who Eddie Kingston was. He thought that Eddie Kingston was Eddie Edwards by mistake because at one point, two years ago, with the open challenge for the TNT title, Eddie Kingston had a whole lot of buzz and people want to see Eddie Kingston there. And then when they found out Eddie Kingston was going to be there, Jericho thought it was Eddie Edwards, but he never knew exactly who Kingston was. Once he saw saw who Kingston was, he was like, all right, cool. He didn't find nothing like appealing about Kingston. Long story less long, Jericho tells Eddie that he knows the reason why Eddie Kingston is so mad at Jericho is that because he's jealous of what Chris Jericho has done. He's jealous that Jericho was able to make it the big times and main events at the age of 20-something while Eddie Kingston's 38 right now still wrestling, but he hasn't even main eventing anything. He hasn't made millions of dollars, yada, yada, yada. Eddie basically cuts Jericho off and said, yo, listen, I'm not jealous of you. I'm not jealous of what you've done. If anything, you're lucky that I wasn't around back then when you were doing this, because if I was, you wouldn't have made it in none of these things. Eddie tells Jericho that he wants to match with him at Revolution, but before Jericho does give Eddie an answer to that, he tells Kingston that he is a failure just like his uncle and just like his father, and he will beat Kingston at Revolution to prove to Kingston what Kingston already knows deep down inside is that he is a failure. That promo between Jericho and Kingston was a good one. I want to see Kingston like blow up the same way that he had with Punk because that Punk one of him, that was fire. That was money. This one was money too, but I just wish that we would have saw Kingston like get all up in Jericho's face. And I mean hardwired face, but we got one more episode. We'll see if he gets there. After this, we have the face of the revolution qualifying matchup. Ricky starts with Powerhouse Hobbs in this corner, going against Dark Order's 10. Ricky Starks will win the match by pinfall, and 10 had Starks in a full Nelson, but Starks will grab 10's mask, turned it a little bit, so 10 couldn't see out of it. So this allows Ricky to hit a spear on 10 to win the matchup. So now inside the face of revolution ladder match you have now, Ricky Starks, Powerhouse Hobbs, Wardlow, and Keith Lee. We will have to see who else joins them whenever AEW Rampage happens, but I'll get to that later. After this, we have a TBS championship matchup. Jay Cargill with smart Mark Sterling in her corner going against the Bunny. Jade wins the match by pinfall when the Bunny had Jade in position to hit her move down the rabbit hole. But Jade reverses out of it, hits Jaded for the win. So Jade is now 28-0 and still a TBS champion. Jade gets the mic from Tony Schiavone and says that she is 28-0. Next, she's going to be 30-0, then 50-0. Jade acts, who is next, playing on to the fact that everybody keeps on calling her Goldberg. The whole run that she's going to. Even I said that she had the Goldberg run, which I'm cool with her having the Goldberg run. I just want her to have the Goldberg run because she is money. Let's not get it twisted. Jade is money. I've always stated that. I always believe in that. Jade is purity money. Let her still have the TBS title. I just want her to get more in-ring uh, work skill with her having power and speed and more or less striking ability too. I don't want her to do like agile stuff. She is one of the taller girls in that division. Literally her and like Nyla Rose, I believe are like the tallest chicks in that division. So it doesn't need, she doesn't need to be doing backflips or anything. So again, 
if they could just work on her doing power moves, uh, work on her running and speeding and striking ability, she'll be the total package, which she already is total package, but I'm talking about in-ring competi- uh, competitiveness. Jay would be the legit, the total package. Anyway, Ty Conti comes out and says that she's going to be the one to beat Jade. Ty gets in the ring, gets in Jade's face. Jade pushes Ty. Ty hits Jade in the face. Now you got these two throwing blows until the bunny gets back in the ring and attacks Ty Conti because the bunny's been having beef with Ty for a long time. Jade backs away as these two fight. Uh, Ty hits the Ty KO on the bunny, but immediately gets hit with a bicycle kick to the face by Jade. Jade lifts up her TBS title, leaves the ring. So we're going to see where that leads us. After this, main event time. Brian Danielson going against Daniel Garcia. Brian won to win the match by knockout when Brian and Garcia are trading hard shots with each other. And I mean, these are my hard shots. Garcia will catch one of Brian's kicks and he goes for the dragon screw, but Brian was able to ca- uh, catch Garcia in enough time that he's able to grab him by both of his arms and start stomping Garcia's head in. Brian then locks in the triangle choke. And Garcia starts passing out as the referee checks on Garcia. The referee sees it. He calls for the bell. That's the end of that. Very hard for I'm not going to say hard for match. It was a nice striking match. You got some uh, hard hits out of Brian and Garcia, which you would have seen, which you wanted to see. But if they would have started the night off with these two, I guarantee we probably got a 30-minute or at least a good 20-minute bout out of these two. I just wish that we would have gotten a lengthier match out of these two. That's all I'm saying. Because the Lee Moriarty and Brian Danson match, I want to say it was, what, last week or two weeks ago? That was great. You gave them enough time. You gave people uh, enough time to care about Lee Moriarty going against Brian Danson. Great. I don't think you gave Daniel Garcia enough time with Brian Danson the same way that we did Lee Moriarty. But we'll just have to see how far we go with that. Anyway, after the match, you get Brian get on the mic and he tells Garcia that's what he wanted to see from Garcia tonight. He wanted to see that type of violence from Garcia. 2.0 runs into the ring and attacks Brian, because remember, Brian's trying to take Daniel Garcia from 2.0. And you see Brian gets jumped. John Moxley, music hits. He comes from the crowd. He saves Brian. He attacks 2.0, sends them out of the ring. Daniel Garcia comes in the ring with a chair. He's about to hit Moxley, but Brian grabs a chair from Garcia. Moxley sees this. He hits Garcia with a paradigm shift. And now Garcia's out of the ring. Brian gets a microphone and tells Moxley that since Moxley needs to bleed with someone before he tags with him, that's going to happen. He accepts Moxley's match or proposal at Revolution. So it's going to be Brian Danson versus Moxley. And Brian tells Moxley, point blank, listen, you said that you need somebody to bleed with you before you tag with each other, but don't be disappointed when you're going to be the only person bleeding in this match. And he walks away. So that's the end of your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Great episode. I just wish they would have gave Brian Danson and Daniel Garcia a little bit more time. But again, great episode. Now to Impact Wrestling. The biggest things that came out of Impact Wrestling this week literally was at the pay-per-view. You had um, two big things. One, you had Eddie Edwards turning on his Impact Brothers when he joined Honor No More to help them win, and basically now Honor No More is inside Impact Wrestling, which I kind of called it because I thought Honor No More was going to win. I just didn't know who was going to turn. I had my money betting more on Eddie Edwards because he had more of a uh, relationship with Honor No More than 
Chris Saban or any other guys. So that paid off. And the second, well, technically the biggest, biggest thing was Jay White turning on Gorillas of Destiny to help the Good Brothers retain their Impact Tag Team Championships. I did not see that on the bingo card. I did not see that being like a thing happening. I thought, if anything, I thought uh, Tama Tonga and like Balak Fale were going to be like the legit guy guys about Bullet Club that never leave. They're going to just be representing Bullet Club until they either fold the faction or whatever the case may be. But that is not the case. Jay White turns on uh, G.O.D. kicking them out when he hits the Blade Runner on Tama Tonga while the referee was distracted. And then he allowed the Good Brothers to get in the ring, hit the Magic Killer on Tama Tonga to retain the Impact uh, Tag Team Championships and in effect kick out the Gorillas of Destiny and welcoming back the Good Brothers inside the Bullet Club. Those are the two big things out of the pay-per-view. Moose retained his championship. Uh, Mickey Jan retained her championship. Jake something is the new number one contender for X Division Championship. Uh, those are like the big things that happen out of that thing. Anyway, now getting on to your Impact Wrestling uh, highlights. Moose comes out for an in-ring promo. Moose mentions that he beat Morrissey at No Surrender to retain his world championship. And he talks about, but everybody's basically talking about Eddie Edwards and what he did at the pay-per-view. Moose mentions that he is the gift that once you enter the ring with him, you end up turning into a different man and it's not for the good. He talks about Josh Alexander not being an impact no more. Remember, he beat up on Josh Alexander. Matt Cardona, he had a match with Matt Cardona, but now Matt Cardona, after losing the Moose, he's doing the unthinkable as stooping so low to hitting Jordan Grace with a chair to win a championship. And he talks about God knows what's going to happen to Morrissey, what type of downslide he's going to be on. You see Heath come out and question Moose why he's not leading the charge against Honor No More. As the world champion, you're supposed to be the guy for the company, but you're not the guy right now. You're out here just peddling out here as we're actually in a war with guys coming into this company. Heath reminds Moose that he was the first opponent that Heath had in Impact Wrestling, and Heath decides to challenge Moose, and Moose asks him, is he sure he wants to do this? Moose then goes on a whole rant about how he doesn't care about Honor no more. He doesn't care about Ring of Honor. He doesn't care about Impact Wrestling. He doesn't care about Heath and his ugly children. Then you see Heath punch Moose in the face. And then you start seeing both of these two guys coming to blows until Moose hits, well, not Moose, uh, Heath hits a reverse, no, not a reverse, but a zigzag on Moose to basically end the segment. And Heath holds up the Impact title. And it gets announced that at the next pay-per-view that they have, March 5th, Sacrifice, it will be Moose defending the Impact World Championship against Heath. After this, now it's time for the first match of the night. No DQ match for the Digital Media Championship. It is Jordan Grace challenging champion Matt Cardona. Matt Cardona will win the match by pinfall when Cardona throws Gart Grace into a steel chair that is in between the turnbuckles and then rolls her up and then holds the ropes for leverage. In this match, you had them using keyboards against each other. You had them use mouse cords against each other, uh, a DVD player, a selfie stick that Jordan Grace basically broke and used as batons to hit uh, Matt Cardona in the back. You had Jordan Grace pull out a black bag. And usually in wrestling, a black bag usually means thumbtacks. But once she poured it out, it was nothing but 
old school cell phones. And I don't mean like old, big, bulky 80s and 90s. I'm talking about the like early 2000s type cell phones, like them type of small, bulky joints. And she powerbombed Matt Cardona onto those cell phones. And then you obviously have a steel chair in it. And that was used to basically be the finish of the match. Good matchup to end the start off Impact Wrestling. Not to end it, but to start off Impact Wrestling. Real good matchup between Grace and uh, Matt Cardona. After this, the next match that we had was John Schuyler going against Bupinder Gujir. Bupinder Gujir will win the match by pinfall when he hits Schuyler with a second turnbuckle spear for the win. Brian Myers was on commentary for this matchup. And you'll understand why after this. After the match, W. Morrissey comes out to confront Brian Myers because remember, Brian Myers and his learning tree at the time would constantly mess around and try to beat up on W. Morrissey as he was into his feud with Moose. Morrissey comes down to the ring. He tries to confront Myers, but Skyler tries to stop uh, Morrissey, but Morrissey forearms Skyler. Myers tries to calm down Morrissey, but Morrissey ends up grabbing Myers by the shirt, catching him, and He's about to choke slam uh, Myers through his table, but Skyler clubs Morrissey in the back for a receipt. That doesn't work because Skyler is a smaller gentleman than Morrissey. Morrissey decides to turn around, look at Skyler, drop Myers and knees Skyler in the uh, stomach, then pick him up for a powerbomb and powerbomb him through the table, and Brian Myers gets out of this scot free. After this, it's time for the Champ Champ Challenge, which is basically Deanna Perrazzo putting up her either her AAA Reina de Reina's championship or the Ring of Honor Women's Championship against a, any woman that wants to step up. The woman that stepped up this time was Lady Frost, and she wanted to challenge Deanna Perrazzo for the AAA Reina de Reina's championship. And we got that matchup, and Deanna Perrazzo will win the match by submission when Deanna will lock in Venus de Medio. Uh, it's basically a double arm bar on Lady Frost, and Frost taps out. Good match between Deanna and Lady Frost, but we obviously knew Deanna was going to win this matchup. After this, Giselle uh, Shaw comes down to the ring. She has a little uh, confrontation with Deanna as they met with each other at the entranceway, but Giselle just continued walking towards the, into the ring. Giselle gets in the ring. She looks at Lady Frost, tilts her sunglasses down, shakes her head at her, and it just basically soaks in the spotlight, as Giselle Shaw should, because that's all she wants is the spotlight. After this, we have a backstage uh, promo from the Bullet Club. And Jay White explains why he kicked out the G.O.D. He mentioned that at No Surrender, it wasn't personal. It's all business. He mentions how G.O.D. doesn't fit the requirements. They don't meet the bar where Jay White wants to take Bullet Club so that's the reason why Jay White kicked out the Gorillas of Destiny. He mentions also that they had to do it because the Gorillas of Destiny were basically dead weight and that he wanted to have the real and true tag team of the Bullet Club back in their mix, the Good Brothers. You see Violent by Design walk up on Bullet Club and he tells the Good Brothers that they owe them a tag team championship matchup because they had a business arrangement. Jay White tells Violet by Design that whatever business arrangement they have before dealing with Jay White, that's null and void. So then you see Gorillas of Destiny attack out of nowhere Bullet Club, and you see Violet by Design help the Gorillas of Destiny attack the Bullet Club, and you see Bullet Club basically run away from this five-on-four-man attack. So 
it will get announced next week on Impact. It'll be the Good Brothers going against, well, not the Good Brothers, Bullet Club. That means Jay White, the Good Brothers, and Chris Bay going against Violence by Design and G.O.D. After this, we had Outlandish Zicky Dice going against Jonah. Jonah wins the match by pinfall when he hits Zicky with a sit-out powerbomb for the win. After the match, Jonah goes to the top turnbuckle and hits the Tsunami Splash onto Zicky Dice. After this, Jonah will go to the backstage. He'll get talked to by Gail Kim. Gail Kim tells him that he can't constantly brutalize his opponents after beating them up. After their matchup, Jonah says, well, I wouldn't be doing this if you quit giving me appetizers and feed me some competition. So Gail Kim decides to tell him that, listen, at Sacrifice, you will go against PCO. How about that? Jonah smiles and says, I'm cool with that. And he walks away from Gail Kim. After this, now it's time for the main event of the night. The OGK and Kenny King with the rest of Honor No More in their corner. Going against Rich Swan, Willie Mack, and Chris Saban with Rhino and Heath in their corner. The OGK and Kenny King will win the match by pinfall. I'm sorry. The OGK is Matt Taven and Mike Bennett, for those that don't know who the OGK is. Mike Bennett and Matt Taven and Kenny King will win the match by pinfall when Bennett, Taven, the OGK hit the Proton Pack on Willie Mack for the win. After the match, Maria will get the mic and introduce Eddie Edwards down to the ring to explain himself. Eddie Edwards comes down to the ring. He gets the mic, and he explained why he turned on Impact at No Surrender. Eddie mentions how two years ago, the industry changed when doors started opening and companies started working together. And he talked about during that time, he was cool with it because, you know what? I'm a company guy. I'll do what's best for the company, and the company wants to do this. Fine. And he talks about how Kenny Omega came over to Impact Wrestling, and he won the Impact Wrestling Championship from Rich Swan because Rich Swan couldn't do his job. And he talked about how he waited in the back. He waited in line like a good employee because he knew that once Impact called his number, he would be able to bring the title back to Impact Wrestling. He talks about how he had to sit back and watch Sammy Callahan fail to bring the world title back to Impact. He had to sit back and watch Moose fail to bring the title back to Impact Wrestling. And he talked about how when it was his time to get the call because he beat Kenny Omega in a six-man tag match and he was ready for it, they decided to put their trust in Josh Alexander to bring the world championship back to Impact Wrestling. And that's the moment that he knew that Impact Wrestling wasn't honorable anymore. They were honor no more. They had no more honor left in them. And that's the reason why he joined up with Honor No More, because Honor No More is here to expose the wrestling industry, expose the sickening that's going on behind the scenes. And at that moment, he knew that he couldn't be with Impact No More. You see his wife, Alicia, come down to the ring. She gets a microphone. She basically questions Eddie Edwards, saying, how could you do this? I mean, you talked about this at home, but now since you want to bring it out to the public, we're here now with this. And she tells Eddie Edwards, listen, you can't mean to tell me that you, you didn't think that Sammy Callahan, Moose, and Jonas Alexander didn't all deserve those shots. I understand why you're upset, but you got to understand that these guys aren't your family. Impact Wrestling are your family. The fans are your family. The wrestlers and girls backstage are your family. Eddie Edwards tells her point blank, no, they're not my family. My family are honored no more. These guys are my family. And 
Alicia basically questions Eddie Edwards and asks him, so am I your family then? Eddie says, you're in my family if you want to be. And he walks out. And he leaves with Honor No More behind him. And Alicia just standing the ring, standing there, looking at Eddie Edwards. And Eddie gets on the entrance ramp. And Honor No More and Eddie Edwards look at Alicia. So we're going to see how this all pans out. Because next week's episode is their last episode until, well, last episode until their pay-per-view sacrifice. So we'll just see how that goes. Anyway, that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with an in-ring promo from the Women's Royal Rumble winner, Ronda Rousey. Ronda gives a reason why she came back to WWE at the Royal Rumble. Ronda mentioned that she wanted to be an inspiration to her daughter the same way that her mother was an inspiration to her when she was a small child. Ronda said that she didn't want to dwell on the past and look at towards the future whenever she taps out Charlotte Flair at the Royal Rumble. Unless you say Charlotte Flair's name, you know what has to happen next. Charlotte Flair comes out. She tells Ronda that at WrestleMania, she will be making Ronda tap out, and she will be sending Ronda home so she can work, start working on baby number two. Once that comment comes out of Charlotte's mouth, Ronda looks at Charlotte, and right from behind, you see Sonya Deville attack Ronda on her right knee. And that is apparently the knee that Ronda has had surgery on for, for seven times now. Charlotte would then grab Ronda's leg and start throwing it into the ring post, damaging the knee as well. Then you see Sonya Deville grab Ronda, start calling her a loser, a disappointment. Then you see Ronda hit Sonya with some type of throwing maneuver using her legs. And then you will see Sonya Deville retreat out of the ring. Backstage, you see Adam Pierce right there waiting for Sonya Deville in his office. And he plays back the footage of Sonya Deville attacking Ronda Rousey. And he gets word, and he's confirmed it, that next week, on SmackDown, it will be Sonya Deville going against Ronda Rousey. That's not the only match that will be confirmed for next week as well, because during a backstage interview, the Usos were joking up that they beat up on the Viking Raiders, and you know what happens next. The Viking Raiders beat up on the Usos backstage, and so next week it gets confirmed that the SmackDown Tag Team Champions will be putting their tag team titles against, on the line against the Viking Raiders. So it will be the Usos going against the Viking Raiders for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. Also, later in the night, you'll have a Sami Zayn in-ring promo. And it was supposedly supposed to be about his whole championship celebration since he's got back to the Kondo Championship. Sami's out there and he goes on a tirade about how people think there wasn't a conspiracy against Sami all along. But Sami has clarified that there is one. But Sammy said that throughout that whole conspiracy, he learned one thing, and that is you can achieve anything you want. You just got to overcome these things. Sammy then says that he's willing to give Nakamura a rematch for the Intercontinental Championship, but Nakamura is currently incapacitated at the moment. Sammy does say that he will give anybody an Intercontinental Championship opportunity. So then you get Johnny Knoxville coming out, and Pat McAvee is the greatest again. He says the jackass has entered the building, and he's not technically wrong. Johnny Knoxville is part of the jackass crew. Sammy tells Knoxville that he doesn't belong here, and he isn't going to get a shot at the kind of championship. Johnny Knoxville says, I could have swore you say anybody, so what, are you afraid of me, Sammy? Sammy starts getting all up in Knoxville's face, and Sammy says, you know what? You do, you get on my nerves so well. You do it better than anybody. I got to give you credit for that, but you're not going to get this one. Nope. I'm going to, you're not... You're not going to get it. Knoxville is taunting Sammy to punch him, punch him. Sammy wants to, but he says, you know what? You're not worth it. And as soon as Sammy looks like he's about to walk out of the ring, he does not. He blindsides Knoxville, hits him, beat him up a little bit. 
Knoxville gets himself up in the corner. Sami Zayn hits the huluva kick not once, but twice on Knoxville and essentially knocks out Knoxville. We go backstage. We see Sami Zayn talking to Adam Pierce about it. Pierce lets Sami know that he's not happy what Sami did to Knoxville. Sami Zayn said, you know what? I'm genuinely sorry for it, but he could just push my buttons. He does it better than anybody. And then you see Ricochet walk up on Sami Zayn. Ricochet mentions that Sami had an open challenge for anybody to go after the Dakota title, so he's here to accept it. So Adam Pearce makes the match for next week. Sami Zayn going against Ricochet for the Intercontinental Championship. Now, on to the matches of the night. We had the New Day, which was Kofi Kingston and Biggie going against Los Lotharios. Good tag team matchup. The New Day will win the match by pinfall when they hit the midnight hour on Angel Garza for the win. After that, we had Zia Lee going against Natalia. Zia Lee will win the match by pinfall when Zia will hit a roundhouse kick on Natalia. And you also got to remember, this is Zia Lee's first debut match on SmackDown, so she was not losing this at all. Then we get the returning Sasha Banks, who hasn't been on SmackDown some time now. She went against Shasi Blackheart, but they shortened her name to Shasi for some months ago, but I will still always call her Shasi Blackheart. Naomi comes out to watch the match on commentary. Uh, Sasha will win the match by submission when she locks in the bank statement on Shotzi as Shotzi taps out. After the match, you see Naomi get into the ring. She grabs a microphone and she says, point blank, you're looking at the next women's tag team champions. So Naomi and Sasha are now formed as a team. I kind of thought that's where they was headed with this when I saw Naomi get into the ring because Naomi isn't the one that try to looks for a fight at all. And plus, Sasha's a good guy. Naomi's a good guy. We're not going to have Sasha do something stupid right now. So I thought we were going to get a tag team, so I was right on that point. And plus, we get two-thirds of Team Bad back together, so that's cool to see that. 2016, if you guys don't remember that, Team Bad, that was Naomi, uh, Sasha, and Tamina, and they would do backstage skits with uh, The New Day as well. Just look it up on YouTube. That's where that whole thing came from. Anyway, after this, we were supposed to get Drew McIntyre going against Happy Corbin, but... That didn't happen because Happy Corbin got on the microphone and he said, me versus you is a WrestleMania match. He told Madcap to get on the uh, ring apron and Madcap got on the ring apron, but he looked hesitant. Corbin said, look out how strong Madcap is. And what he's referencing to is Madcap taking a nasty head bump on the reverse Alabama slam when Drew McIntyre uh, and him had their match at Elimination Chamber this past Saturday, and he told Madcap that, you know what, you can beat up on Drew McIntyre tonight, you got it, Drew McIntyre is weak, and is only Drew McIntyre, Madcap is still hesitant about this, but Happy Corbin jumps on Drew, then Madcap joins in on it, so this kind of gets Madcap in the mind to fight Drew McIntyre and have them wrestle, we get that match, and Madcap loses, Drew McIntyre was able to hit a claymore on Madcap as Madcap was uh, running off the ropes, Drew McIntyre Springs up, hits a Claymore on Moss. That was the end of that. Now it's time for the main event segment of the night. Contract signing between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Before I get into this, I just want to say I'm tired of contract signings now. I really am. Unless something like big and dramatic has to happen at a contract signing, I'm tired of contract signings. I really am. I think AEW, well, yeah, AEW and WWE have completely just killed the imagery of a contract signing, if I'm honest with you. More WWE, because they like to really throw out contract signings a lot. There were a couple years where we didn't get contract signings. I mean, there were a couple years. The only time they'll pull out contract signings whenever people 
will be of a great magnitude of a matchup will be going down. But it just seems like almost every single month we get a contract signing, contract signing. All right, dog, we get it. You guys don't know what to do. You guys don't want to do the old school 2000 and early 2010s. Both guys and gals or whoever it is in the rivalry go at each other in the mic and then they'll brawl or somebody will say something devastating, nasty to them and then they'll leave with a cliffhanger. I get it, but yo, we got to cut it with like, we got to cut it with contract signings. I would have loved to see something else, but hey, it is what it is. Anyway, getting to the contract signing, we get Paul Heyman coming out with the bloodline. Paul Heyman does his usual shtick. He does that he's the uh, special counsel for the tribal chief. He talks about how Brock Lesnar isn't going to win at WrestleMania, yada, yada, yada. Brock Lesnar comes out. Brock Lesnar be known that he's going to kick both Roman and Paul Heyman's butt at WrestleMania. But he does use the word ass, and he uses it a lot during his promo, by the way. He says he's going to beat them both up at WrestleMania and take the Universal Championship off of Roman. And there's security guards in this ring, by the way, because they wanted to keep the two men away from each other, Roman and Brock. Brock does make mention that these rinky-dink security guards that you got in here, they ain't, they're not the reason. They can't stop me if I want to get to you. The only person that's going to stop me from getting to you is Brock Lesnar. And the only thing that Brock Lesnar wants to do right now is sign this contract. Brock signs the contract, and he throws it at Roman Reigns. Roman gets a pin from Paul Heyman. He signs it, and Roman gets a microphone. Now, Roman goes full Denzel Washington training day on Brock Lesnar. If you don't know what that means, let me play the clip for you right now of Roman Reigns going training day. You must be confused, farm boy. That title, that's my title. And you don't even realize it because I'm going to smash you at WrestleMania. And it's not even your fault, Brock. You ain't got a chance. This is my show. This is my ring. This cameraman right here, this is my cameraman. These people, these are all my people because they acknowledge me. These two right here, they work for me. This commentary team is mine because they brag and talk about me the whole time. That sign right there is mine because I am WrestleMania. Show. I run this show, and everybody works for me, including the security in the ring with me. So with that out of the way, Roman does that, and if you haven't seen Training Day, I would suggest you find it anywhere you can. Great Denzel Washington movie, I believe. If anything, people are going to put that literally at the top of the list, either that or Malcolm X as Denzel Washington's uh, greatest performances. Anyway, after that, you see the security turn and look at Brock and look like they're ready to do something. But come on now, this is Brock Lesnar here. Brock Lesnar starts doing everything he can. He throws the table on him. He throws chairs at him. He just destroys the security guards. And that's how SmackDown ends, Brock destroying the security guards. All right, now it's time for AEW Rampage. Rampage opens up with a TNT Championship matchup. Sammy Guevara going against Andrade, who has in this corner Isaiah Cassidy, Jose, and Matt Hardy. Sammy would win the match by pinfall to retain his TNT championship. When Andrade hit Steel from the turnbuckle, and you saw Sammy hit a double springboarded cutter onto Andrade for the win. After the match, Matt Hardy attacks Sammy from behind, throws him out of the ring, wants to beat on him some more, but you see Darby Allen and Sting coming down to make the save. Darby Allen runs into the ring and hits a speeding bullet style, like suicide dive onto Matt Hardy on the outside of the ring. Now you see. Isaiah Cassidy standing right there. He's looking, he's trying to encourage Matt to get up. And right behind him is Sting. 
He feels the presence of Sting. He turns around. Sting punches him. Darby Allin gets up the top turnbuckle. Hits a coffin drop onto Isaiah Cassidy. And that's the end of this. Because this is setting up for their match at Revolution. It's a six-man tornado matchup. It's Andrade, Isaiah Cassidy, and Matt Hardy going against Sammy Guevara, Darby Allin, and Sting. After this, we had QT Marshall coming out. And he starts complaining about how he's being disrespected by everybody in AEW. Rather be people in the back, his co-workers, the fans, and it's all because of Hook. He says that he's the one that made Hook, not Taz. He's the one that taught him the basics. He's the guy that taught Hook how to shake hands with wrestlers that wrestlers that came into the building. If you're new, you're supposed to shake hands, apparently. That's a rule. If you get a good seat, you're supposed to get up for a elder statesman. He calls Hook disrespectful and all this type of stuff. QT Marshall calls out Hook to, to uh, for Hook to tell him thank you for bringing him into the business. He starts saying that Hook isn't going to come out here because he's a punk. Hook decides to come out. He comes out in a hoodie and some sweatpants. He ain't even buzz, He ain't even stressing out this. Hook is coming out, and it's a trap. QT Marshall sends some of his students to attack Hook, but Hook easily takes care of it. He hits one with a judo throw. He then clothesline the next one. And for the next one that he gets, he puts him in the red rum, better known as the Taz mission to everybody else. The next student that was supposed to go towards him, he looks at QT Marshall, and then he just runs away. So then you see Hook looking at QT Marshall, and Hook just walks back to the back. So he ain't even paying QT Marshall no bit of mind. After this, we get... Nick Camarado with Aaron Solo in his corner going against Warlow with Sean Spears in his corner. I ain't gonna front for the match that they had. And I ain't gonna front. It wasn't a long match. It was about a, what, six, seven minute matchup. Two big dudes just beating up on each other. A hoss match, if you would, if this was Japan. Uh, It was a good match for these two guys. I mean, Nick Camarado was able to also throw around Warlow. It's usually Warlow throwing around a guy in a matchup, but Nick Camarado was able to throw around Warlow too. But Warlow will win the match by pinfall when Warlow hits four power bombs on Nick Camarado to win the match. After the match, Aaron Solo got on the top rope, tried to hit a crossbody onto Warlow, but Warlow caught him, and he transitioned it to hit a power bomb. But before he could do that, Sean Spears would hit Solo in the back with the steel chair, which effectively hits Warlow's fingers. So Solo drops to the mat. Warlow looks at Sean Spears, and he is pissed. He has red in his face. And Spears has to get a mic, and he tells Warlow, hey, calm down, big man. And he has to bring Warlow back down, calm him down. He tells Warlow that, listen, the powerbombs aren't getting you popular. He says the word over, and the word over in wrestling means it's not popular. Um, He wants Warlow to start going back to the basics, just beating up somebody and going to get the win. And the crowd is chanting one more as all this is going, because they're looking for Warlow to powerbomb Sean Spears. We didn't get that. Charles Spears ends up hugging Warlow, telling him, hey, Max and I love you. This is the reason why we're, I'm telling you this, so hug it out. After this, we get the five-minute Professor Challenge. Serena Deed going against a Kayla Sparks. Serena wins the match because she locks in the Serena lock for the win with two minutes and 30 seconds left in the match. After this, now it's time for another contract signing on a Friday night. It's between Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. Thunder Rosa... Signs the contract, but before she does that, she calls Britt a lying, cheating woman and says that the AEW fans are ready to deserve a better AEW Women's Champion. Britt gets the mic and lets Rosa know that the only time Thunder Rosa is relevant is when she has Britt Baker's name in her mouth. Britt tells Thunder that, yo, you might have won the Lights Out matchup, but who was the real winner of that? 
Britt mentions how she's the one that got t-shirts, action figures, and the people were talking about her more than the actual winner of the match, Thunder Rosa. Britt says that she is the women's division. She's the one that's been helping build the women's division since the beginning of day one of AEW, and that Thunder Rosa, no matter how hard she tries, will never ever be that woman. Britt signs the contract. Thunder Rosa jumps across the table, starts attacking Britt Baker. Jamie Hayter attacks Thunder Rosa from behind. And then you see Mercedes Martinez come down, and Rebel tries to meet Mercedes Martinez at the entranceway, but she gets beat up for her troubles. Mercedes throws her into the barricade. She gets into the ring. Mercedes grabs Jamie by the hair, pulls her off of Thunder Rosa. So now you see Jamie Hayter turn around to look at Mercedes Martinez. And now Jamie's realizing that she is in between Mercedes and Thunder Rosa. She turns around to look back at Thunder Rosa. Rosa forearms her in the face. Then she turns around to look at Mercedes Martinez. Mercedes uh, spine busters Jamie Hayter through the table. And that was the end of that segment. Also with Thunder Rosa holding up the AEW Women's Championship, which she will be fighting for at Revolution against Britt Baker. Now it's time for the main event. A face of Revolution qualifying matchup between Anthony Bowens, who has Mass Caster in his corner, going against Orange Cassidy, who has Wheeler Uter in his corner. Orange Cassidy will win the match by pinfall when Cassidy hits the Orange Punch on Bowens to win the matchup. So now, face of Revolution, ladder match, it is now Orange Cassidy, Warlow, Sean's no, no, not Sean Spears, uh, uh, Ricky Starks, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Keith Lee. They're missing two more members, and then the whole match will be set. I gotta admit, this match got a whole lot of big guys. Three big guys. Ricky Starks, who can do everything. He got power. He got speed. I don't think he does springboard stuff. Um, Orange Cassidy, who's not a power guy, but he's a speed guy. He will jump off the top rope. Some, uh, punches in there so i mean right now the match is kind of starting to even itself out we just never ever seen a lot of big guys in a ladder match but anyway that is your aew rampage wrestling highlights of the week now before i get you guys out of here i just want to mention a couple of things here uh before i mention what happened in the wrestling news this week i want to say congratulations to johnny gargano and candace LeRae for their birth of their first child uh Candice LeRae gave birth to her child last week. I did not mention it on last week's episode, so now I mentioned it here. Her, their son' name is Quill, so I want to give thanks to, well, say congratulations to Candice and Johnny for their son. By the way, since this is the last Wrestling Highlights of the Week in February, I got to go out with one more uh, black wrestler to pay homage to, and the wrestler that I'm paying homage to is Farouk better known as AKA Ron Simmons. He was the first WCW world champion, an African-American man to hold that championship. He's also a one-time WCW tag team champion with Butch Reed and his tag partner as the tag team Doom. He's a one-time WCW United States tag team champion with Big Josh. And he's a three-time WWF tag team champion with Bradshaw, better known as the APA also, by the way, did you know he led a group called the Nation of Domination? You know, the group that kind of propelled The Rock into what he is now. You know, the group that kind of helped Mark Henry and also helped D'Lo Brown. Yeah, that group. That influential group right there. Also, Farouk is such a manly man that the Steiners wouldn't even play pranks on Farouk back in WCW. If you don't know, let me break this down to you. The Steiner brothers are two of the like toughest guys in the locker room, Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner. Even in their young days where Scott Steiner had the whole 
like hair on his head. I mean, like straight up just hair party in the front, party in the back. I mean, just a whole set of hair on his head. Those two would prank people in the back. They would chain up people's uh, bags together. They would like duct tape somebody up to the ceiling, which is a crazy thing to do, but they have done it. It's been told on every, a lot of people's podcasts. The only thing you got to do is just YouTube Steiner's pranks. But it was told that the Steiner brothers never messed with Farouk because Farouk, Ron Simmons, whatever you want to call him, he was a strong man, and they know exactly who he was. They knew exactly he didn't play around, and they knew that they couldn't beat up on Ron Simmons. So they kept, they didn't want to mess with Ron Simmons. So that shows you how much respect Ron Simmons had in that locker room, for real. Ron Simmons is the man. Ron Simmons literally is the man, man. Everybody from black wrestlers to white wrestlers, they respect Ron Simmons. JBL has a whole, JBL, like, praises Ron Simmons for real, and I like to see that from a tag partner, especially from a guy like JBL, who technically wasn't, like, up there in the rankings, but Farouk already was already Ron Simmons. He already did what he had to do with WCW. He helped Bradshaw, and the only thing Bradshaw did in return for with Farouk was basically those two have fun. APA, when they turned to APA from the Agalites, they just basically have fun, and that kind of gave Bradshaw more airtime on television to really show off his personality. So, again, without Farouk, you wouldn't get Bradshaw showing off his personality. So, I don't think we would even get a JBL, per se, to be honest with you, because if you never got APA and you never got to see Bradshaw's personality, you wouldn't get a JBL. I'm just going to be blunt with you. So, again, Farouk, Ron Simmons, he helped catapult a lot of people's careers, and he also was the first world champion of a major wrestling company. So, I want to get a lot of respect and a lot of uh, adulation to the man, Ron Simmons. Also, I got to constantly say this every time because I want to pay homage and I want to give credit to where it's due. I did take this segment away from the Public Enemies podcast. They had this and I looked at it and I said, that is a great thing to do. So why haven't I thought of that? So again, I ganked it from the Public Enemy podcast. If you want to go to their podcast and listen to them talk about their uh black wrestlers that they nominated each week to get their flowers to, I will suggest you highly do that, and they're a real entertaining three-man podcast. Real entertaining. Um, One big thing that happened this week, it was Cesaro, better known as Claudio Castagnoli now, because he has decided to let his contract run out with WWE, and he has not re-signed. So what does that mean? The man known as Claudio Castagnoli, or in WWE's name adage, Antonio Cesaro, or Cesaro, if you will, he is now a free agent, and he can go wherever he wants, he doesn't wait the whole 90-day clause, he is free as a bird, he can show up at any wrestling company anytime he wants, so, I just want to say WWE really messed up right here, I don't know how they allowed this to happen, if a man don't want to sign his contract, yeah, that's cool, if a man don't want to sign his contract, but he signed a one-year extension last year, which I didn't know, I just thought that he resigned with the company, it really shocked me this week when I found out that, yo, he's no longer with WWE. It shocked me, but, I mean, come on, WWE has literally let fingers fall, like wrestlers fall through their fingertips for a long time. But I can't say that for Cesaro here. Apparently, they tried to get him back into the company, and apparently he straight up didn't want to resign. And to be honest with you, who can blame him for not wanting to resign, to be honest with you? Because right now, they've been doing nothing with Cesaro. Cesaro has just been a guy in the back that's just been doing nothing constantly, and I think he saw the writing on the wall. Like, all right, I'm just going to constantly be that guy that gives P- 
people like the rub. Once you see me in the ring with them, I'm going to make them feel good. I'm going to make them be probably better than who they who they really are. But Cesaro wasn't doing that in WWE. He was supposed to be a main eventer. He was a main event talent. I don't know how you screwed that up. Literally, I don't know how you screwed it up. But hey, this, it, he's not longer in the WWE. He can show up anywhere he wants. I just want to let people know that. If you happen to see him pop up either in AEW or Impact, or, or even he might wait until Ring of Honor comes back together, who knows? I don't. Personally, the independents are booming. Look at Matt Cardona. He showed up on Impact, but he's also doing a whole lot of independent dates, and he's becoming the hottest like name out there on independents. So who knows to say what Claudio Castagnoli wants to do? Only thing I know is he's a free agent, and wherever he shows up, he's going to be a world champion because WWE definitely missed the mark, and I guarantee you everybody in the wrestling community, everybody in any other wrestling organization knows Cesaro is a main event talent. Claudio Castagnoli is a main event talent. He is without a doubt, world champion material, and he should have been world champion in WWE. Shoot, I just said it last week about this unification thing with Roman and Brock, how you were cutting off people's legs and you're not even giving them the time to even go to fight for a world championship. I mentioned Cesaro last week, and I said because he could have been a great ambassador for WWE, but as world champion, because he speaks five different languages, and he could have easily popped into any of those nations or any of those countries and speak their language because he speaks five different languages. Why wouldn't you want a world champion that speaks five different languages? That makes it, that doesn't make any sense. If you didn't want him to talk in American over here in English and you didn't like it, you could just easily give him a freaking manager. Literally. Last, what, two of 2020? They were doing nothing with him. You could have gave him Malcolm Bivens after Malcolm Bivens was with Indy Shear, but Indy Shear got taken away. You could have put Malcolm Bivens on the main roster with Cesaro. But hey, Again, it is what it is. He hasn't re-signed back with WWE. He's a free agent. So I can't wait to see where Claudio Castagnoli will end up, whether it be AEW, Impact Wrestling, or he might sign back with WWE. Who knows? But we shall see. And best believe, I will be keeping my eyes glued to this uh, situation with him because, again, I've always been singing his praise. I've been Cesaro is literally Claudio, Cesaro, whatever you want to call him. He's literally one of the greatest talents that WWE really misused. He's one of the greatest talents that's actually ever stepped foot in a wrestling ring. The man can do everything. He can fly off the top rope. He has the speed. He can do springboard. He can do power. And he can lift up guys. I mean, just lift them up without with ease. And again, once you see him, you're like, you can't really lift up certain... He can't lift up Mark Henry. Oh, yes, he can. He can't lift up Big Show. Oh, yes, he can. He couldn't swing the Great Khali. Oh, yes, he could. See, here's the thing. He is a man. I would have loved, if anything, speaking of Ron Simmons, I would have loved to see Ron Simmons in his prime going against Cesaro, Claudio Castagnoli. Just a power for power in the weight room. That would have been great to see. But, hey, it is what it is. Claudio Castagnoli is out. He's out from under WWE, and we'll see where he ends up at. Now, with all that being said, let me give you my social media links so I can get you guys out of here. Twitter, at My2Podcast. Instagram, My2SensePodcastG2. Email me. My email is My2SensePod at Yahoo.com. Again, My2SensePod at Yahoo.com. That's for you if you want to email me about whether you're happy, sad, depressed. If you just want to talk to somebody you don't know who to talk to about anything, hey, I'm here. Again, your conversations will always stay private with me. It will never be leaked out to anybody else. I promise you that, at least from my side, okay? 
No, I think Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, uh, Podbeam, and Audible, all these streaming services that allow me to still do what I do, allow me to record what I want to record and just throw it out to you guys. Again, I love every single one of y'all. Have a great Saturday. Please tune into the Sunday podcast. That would be great. But if not, you hear from me again next Saturday on the Wrestling Highlights of the Week. With that, I love you all. And Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.